The common wisdom is that communication is one of the more important foundations or pillars of trust. But the relationship between trust and communication is actually reciprocal. On one hand, we tend to trust people who communicate with us and do that with transparency. People who tell us the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We trust people who tell us what we need to hear because they care about us and not necessarily what they think we want to hear. But on the other hand, would you be willing to share confidential information with someone you don't trust? Would you be willing to be vulnerable and share some of the most intimate details of your life, professional or personal, with someone you don't trust? How comfortable would you feel giving feedback to someone when you don't know or you don't trust how they will take it? And how receptive are you to that kind of feedback from someone that you don't trust that they have your best interest in mind? This episode will address the relationship in greater detail between trust and communication right after this. Welcome to The Trust Show. I'm Yoram Solomon, your host, the author of The Book of Trust and facilitator of The Trust Habits Workshop. My mission is simple. I want to help you form habits that build your trustworthiness because the answer to this question will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? Let me start with transparency, because that's one of the things that typically is associated with uh, trusted or trustworthy communications. Transparency to to me is part of the uh, no BS uh, subcomponent of the positivity component. Again, my relative trustworthiness model has six components. Three of them are who you are, and three of them are what you do during an interaction. And positivity is the foundation for the what you do. And no BS is part of it. And transparency is part of no BS. Do you trust people who hide things from you? You don't. You trust people that are fully transparent. One of our biggest reasons why we don't trust the government as we used to is that we feel that the government is not transparent, is not fully transparent uh, with us. And, and I've been a fighter for more government transparency uh, for many years, uh, mostly recently. So we don't trust people who are not transparent with us. And one of the subcases of transparency is vulnerability. So people who are willing to be vulnerable. People who are willing to be vulnerable with me are people that I trust. One of the reasons is because I know that they put their vulnerability, whatever intimate details of their lives or or professional lives uh, they share with me, is an indication that they trust me. And so there is some kind of reciprocity between the fact that I know that they trust me enough to be vulnerable, so um, I, I trust them. But it's just that when somebody is vulnerable, that I know that they're not holding back. They're not holding back the things that that can hurt them if I tell somebody. And because they do that, then I trust them. 
but but let me flip this around. I told you that it's it's a reciprocal. It's it's a cycle between communication and and uh, and uh, trust, or or here transparency or vulnerability and trust. Would you be willing to be vulnerable with people you don't trust? I mean, you don't know what they're gonna do with what you tell them, and, and it might be professional, like uh, you know, admitting that that you don't know something. Or that something was your fault. But but it goes beyond that. And, and we have a hard time allowing ourselves to be vulnerable with people we don't trust. In fact, in one of my surveys, I, I compared people you trust to people you don't trust. And one of the questions was how vulnerable you feel you can be with them. And you can be 240% more vulnerable with people you trust than with people you don't. So I, I talk about vulnerability, and that vulnerability is really my information, my personal information. How about confidential information that I'm trusted with? So the company trusts me with confidential information. How comfortable am, am I in sharing that information, communicating that information to you? Well, I will only share confidential information with people I trust. People I trust will keep that. Now, by the way, one of my pet peeves is uh, I remember that once I took leadership training many, many, many years ago. And one of the questions we were asked is, how are you going to respond if you know about an, an incoming reduction in force, an upcoming reduction in force. You know about that. You can share this information with the employees for confidentiality reasons. And somebody comes to you, one of your employees comes to you and says, and asks you, or or says, you know, there have been rumors about a reduction in force. Are they true? I was amazed to see how many people would answer this with either, I don't know anything. I I experienced that. A boss of mine who actually, I knew about a reduction in force that was coming up, a reorganization, I should say. It wasn't really a reduction in force in this case. It was a reorganization. And you know, it's very valid concern to not know what your future is like. You don't know if you're going to be eliminated if your job is going to be eliminated from the company you don't know if you're going to get another job that you're not going to like or if you're going to work for somebody that you're not going to like you don't know that and so there is a concern and i went to my boss and she just said i don't know what you're talking about and i told her yes you do and you know that i know and she wouldn't share so i I was surprised at how many people would answer with i don't know They, they would just pretend not to know something. Do you think that they're going to be trusted as a result? They obviously, or she obviously, didn't trust me to share that information. Then the second, um, and I don't remember which one of them was more common, but the second one was, uh, I'll tell you, but don't tell anybody that I told you. You know what? When somebody says that to me, on one hand, I I trust them because they shared it with me. On the other hand, I feel like 
will they do the same things with confidential information that I give them? Will they tell others and tell them, don't tell anybody that I told you so? Now, we got to be careful with uh, sometimes by law or by policy or, or anything else, you cannot violate that confidentiality. So you know a piece of confidential information and it's not so much a matter of do you trust your people as it is legally or contractually, you're not allowed to share that information. This is where trust works the other way. I may not be able to share confidential information with you, but if you trust me, you know that I will have your back. You know that I will prevent anything bad from happening to you as a result of that piece of confidential information that I can share with you. And if you really trust me, and and I'm not putting this on you, I'm putting this on me. If I behaved in a trustworthy way, if I earned your trust enough, then you know that you can trust me. You know that if this was going to hurt you, then I would tell you. Or if this is going to hurt you and I can't tell you, then I will do something to protect you. So that, that's the, the part of transparency, vulnerability, and confidential information. Another subtopic of communication is miscommunication. You know, that happens. If, if you don't believe, then uh, play telephone and see what happens. So let me start by defining what is communication and then why there is miscommunication. Communication starts with a message in my head. I'm the communicator. I'm the person speaking. And should end with a message in your head. And good communication, in good communication, the message that started in my head ended up in your head. Uh, the, the same identical identical message. And and for the most part, that happens, especially with simple communications. But sometimes it doesn't. So let's talk about the process of communication. Communication starts with a message in my head. Then it comes out of my mouth. Now, did, did it ever happen to you that what came out of your mouth is not exactly what started in your head? I mean, I can't tell you how many times I said something and I, I immediately thought, man, that sounded so much better in my head. Not so much when it came out of my hot in my mouth. Or sometimes I ask myself, did I, did I just say this out loud? I should have said it out loud. Or, you know, you say something and as soon as you say it, you're like trying to see if there's any way you can turn the clock back and, and pull it back in. Anyway, sometimes what comes out of your mouth is not exactly what started in your head. Also, remember that your brain is a lot more complex than what can be communicated with, with a few words. I mean, when the message starts in your head, there are emotions and there are colors and there are visions and, and all kinds of things associated with it. But what comes out of your mouth is only words and at best, uh, a tone of voice. And I'll talk more about that uh, in, in a minute. So it comes out of your mouth and then it reaches, hopefully it reaches the other person's ear. But... You're not in a vacuum. You're not out in space. What came out of your mouth is not the only thing that they hear. If there's any source of noise close to them, somebody else talking to them or, or anything else that, that creates some noise, 
it interferes with what came out of your mouth. And it can actually uh, distract or, or distort what they hear in their ears. And, you know, maybe there is an accent that, that you have, and maybe there is a hearing uh, issue that they have. But what entered their ears could be a little different or a lot different than what came out of your mouth. Then, from their ear, it goes to their brain. And now this is subject to their interpretation. Their interpretation of the language, their biases, their perspectives of life, um, and different things that can create a message in their brain that's a little different than what really came through their ears. Bottom line is, what started in your ears, in your brain, came a little differently through your mouth, heard a little differently in their ears, translated, interpreted, understood differently in their brain, and the message that formed in their brain is different than the message that started in yours. That's miscommunication. Whose fault is it? Well, we typically say, or we typically like to blame the other person, right? It, obviously, it's their fault. If I, if I said something and they didn't understand, then, uh, or if I said something and you didn't understand, then you obviously can't understand anything that I say. It's your fault. What, what happens when you do that? When I do that, when, when I say that, you know, you don't understand a single word that I'm saying, what's wrong with you? What do you feel? You feel defensive. Right now, your, your top priority is to defend yourself as someone who does understand. And, you know, the best uh, defense is a good offense, right? So you're going to attack me for not explaining it right. How well do you think that's going to go in terms of good communication, in terms of building trust? And again, I put this under the category of no BS. The, the subcategory of positivity. Uh, let's flip it around. You said something I didn't understand, and I can get back to you and say, you can't explain anything to save your lives. Your life. What's wrong with you? Once again, what do you feel? You, explain, you said something to me, I didn't understand it. I put the blame on you because it's a lot easier than taking ownership. What do you feel? Once again, you feel defensive. And the best defense is a good offense. So you're going to attack me. How well does that work for building trust? Or for no BS? As part of positivity, part of building trust. How about if we do it the other way around? How about if we take ownership? We own our side of miscommunication. If I was the speaker, if I said something to you that you didn't understand, how about if instead I'm going to say, you know what, that didn't come out right. I, I don't think that I explained it well. Let, let, let me try again. Do you feel defensive now? You don't. Now you feel like, like you want to help me explain it better to you. That's no BS. That's positive. And that's how we build trust. That's how at least I build my trustworthiness, by owning my side of that miscommunication. 
And again, let's turn it the other way around. You said something to me. I didn't understand it. Uh, instead of blaming you for not being able to uh, explain anything to save your life, uh, how about if what I say is, uh, you know, I don't think I understand it. Can you explain it to me? It's it's my fault, but, but can you explain it maybe a little slower? Uh, maybe don't assume that, that I have the context. Just so give me some context so, so that I'll understand. Once again, you don't feel defensive. You feel like you want to help me understand what you wanted to say, which is no BS, which is positive, which builds my trustworthiness, really. So there is a connection between communication and trust, and, and a part of it is owning your side of miscommunication, whether you're the speaker or the listener. When, when Maya, my older daughter, was uh, in uh, uh, elementary school, she went to a PACE class. And uh, I, I remember once visiting uh, her PACE class and I saw this sign on the wall that I, that I really liked. It said, uh, say what you mean, mean what you say, don't be mean when you say it. And that's that's part of um, th- that's part of, of trust. That, that's part of communication. It's part of the no BS again subcomponent of positivity, uh, which is part of how you do uh, or or how you communicate. What you do when you communicate. You know, one of the things that we do when we communicate sometimes is we say things for show. You know, I'm telling you something, but I'm really telling other people. Okay? I'm, I'm really telling, I want other people to hear. You, you know how that is, right? That, that somebody talks to you, but, but you see from their tone of voice, sometimes you see from the, who they look at, that they're really trying to make sure that somebody else hear, hear that. I, I call it uh, saying things for show. Okay, you don't say this to really help. You don't say this to really bring value. You say that to show other people. Maybe show other people that, that I put you down, that, that I belittle you. That's bad communication. That, that's communication that, that uh, the type of communication that leads to distrust. Sometimes we use a lot of symbolism. You know, a, a lot of we focus more on the symbols than the real content, than than the real value. That's that's a poor type of communication that that leads to distrust. Telling the truth, you know, part of say what you mean, mean what you say, is just telling the truth, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Don't embellish. No half truths. No white lies. Tell the truth. And, and you know, I, I did record an episode, uh, I think it was uh, in season six, about uh, white lies, half-truths, and, and trust. Uh, so you, you can go there and, and listen to that. But, um, you know, a big part of the uh, who you are group of components in, uh, in, in trustworthiness is the personality compatibility. And personality compatibility, and one of the reasons why I talk about trust as being a relative thing, one of the reasons, uh, uh, or or personality, uh, one of the reasons for that is that uh, trust is personal, and that's the third law of trust. 
and personality compatibility, uh, there are certain things that are up there at the absolute universal level. And there are things that are all the way to the bottom in, uh, you know, we just have different personalities that can be, uh, to be compatible, they don't have to be identical. They could be identical. They could be simply complementary or just not important enough. But up there in the absolute universal part of the personality compatibility is telling the truth because it's pretty universal and pretty absolute that you're not going to trust someone um, who does not tell you the truth, who intentionally and knowingly lies to you. Now, some people believe in their own lies, which is kind of a strange situation because they're not trying to, to, to lie to you. But in general, when people lie, they know that they're lying. And when somebody lies to you intentionally and knowingly, then you don't trust them. And then again, that's part of saying what you mean, meaning what you say. Let me talk about intimacy. Intimacy is one of those components of the what you do or, or how you communicate, how you interact. And it's an, an accelerator of your positivity that, that you contribute or, or bring into to the interaction. And, and it starts with the lowest intimacy form, which is words, the written words, texts, and emails. And, and you know, one of the examples I typically uh, give uh, during uh, workshops is when I talk about, uh, you know, teenagers, I, I guess, Gen Zers in general, they, uh, when they write texts, uh, there's typically hardly any punctuation or capitalization and when they word no thank you when they write no thank you and you get a text that says no thank you it's hard to know if what they mean is no thank you you know the simplest way uh, i offered something and they rejected but thanked me for it or if what they really meant was no thank you note what the tone of voice did here uh, which is uh, when when they are uh, this is like I'm, I'm making the same offer over and over and over again and, and they're hoping that this time maybe if they answer this way I'm going to stop but then there's also no thank you again note the, the tone of voice when I say no thank you what I really mean is no 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 don't thank me I need to thank you same three words. And if you don't put capitalization and you don't put uh, a punctuation, it's hard to know what you meant. And that's that's one of the problems with text and emails. Uh, the other thing is that since they convey very little, we have to make assumptions on what the other person meant. So if we take it a level higher, I already kind of showed you that uh, the tone of voice would uh, would have an impact. Uh, and, and it does. Uh, and if I take it one level up, it's the body language. And if you see my body language when I talk, you can see how sincere I am. And you can see if I really say, if I'm really saying what I mean, and if I really mean what I'm saying. You know, Albert Morabian wrote a book uh, called uh, Silent Messages in 1971. That, that's the book where you get the 738-55 rule, and, and I'm not going to argue uh, that rule. It was 
misinterpreted, misused, and uh, and I'm not sure that how comfortable I am with the uh, level of research that's behind it. But but I'm, I'm not going to refer to the 738.55 rule. What I'm going to talk about, and, and this is really a book about uh, the impact of tone of voice and, and body language. Here's a, a, a sentence that he wrote in the introduction to the book. He wrote, When our words contradict the silent messages contained within them, others mistrust what we say. When our words contradict the silent messages contained within them, others mistrust what we say. So on one hand, if you add tone of voice and body language to the words that you're using, so you're, communicate, uh, you're communicating with uh, full body language, uh, not just words, it will accelerate building trust when people see that you say what you mean and that you mean what you say. And they can see it based on consistency between the words that you use and how you convey them, tone of voice and, and body language. But it's a two-edged sword. If you, if your body language said, uh, contradicts or is inconsistent with the words, and you know sometimes you say something and you roll your eyes, and this is an indication that what you said is not really what you meant or what you feel. That's just one example. Uh, you know, the, I saw a manual, an FBI manual, that said that. Uh, if when you speak, you look up and to the right, I think, or up to the left, I don't remember, um, you're getting in touch with the creative part of your brain, which means that you're lying. I don't know how much you can trust this or, or rely on this, but we do, whether we like it or not, we are able to read body language and feel that consistency. So the intimacy of communications, communicating beyond just the written words, all the way to body language, can have the impact of accelerating trust or causing or accelerating distrust because they're inconsistent. One of the problems we have today is an overload of communication. And when people over-communicate to you, it's, it's very burdensome. You know, it, it would fill your inbox. It would fill your brain, uh, some, possibly with things that you don't need to know. But there is the opposite side of it. And that is, and that uh, often happens in organization. And that's compartmental, compart, <laughs> easy word for me to say, compartmentalization of information. Close enough. That is when people don't share everything that they know. Why do they do that? They do that to gain control. They do that to micromanage you. They do that to gain power. So by micromanaging, I'm just going to give you the piece of information that you need right now. Uh, they do that to gain power. They do that because they don't trust people with the information. Either way, when you know that somebody is withholding information from you, Again, that's, that's one of the higher levels of personality compatibility or here pers personality incompatibility. You don't trust them. And it could be that they're not sharing that information because they don't trust you. But doesn't matter. You don't trust them. Told you it's a reciprocal relationship. 
Um, so if I don't get access to information, I don't trust you. What do we do instead when you have a high trust relationship? What you do, because you, you also don't want to burden people with, with information they don't necessarily need. You need to make information available and accessible to everyone. So, you know, there are tools that uh, I'll take Slack as, as one example. You may not pay attention to all the communications, uh, but the information is there and it's accessible to you when you need it. One good thing about making the information available and accessible is that you give picture, you, you give a view of the big picture to people. You share the real boundaries that everybody's bound with. You don't, you don't create separate boundaries to different people, but you actually share all of it. So compartmentalization of information uh, is bad communication. Making information available and accessible is good communication. How do we avoid communication overload? Well, if you start by making information available, then at least you know that you're not holding anything back and nobody's going to distrust you because you're holding back. Don't copy everyone. Don't send very, very long reports. Uh, and, you know, I used to have employees that would send very, very long weekly reports. And I, I remember I asked one of them, how long does it take for you to write this report? And he would say one day. So one day a week, 20% of the five-day week, he would spend on writing the report. How is that productive? But he did that because he thought I didn't trust him. And when I explained to him that, that I do trust him, and, and it actually helps me when he makes those reports shorter and just the things that he believes I need to know, and that's, that's a key point, you communicate to the other person what they, what you believe they need to know, not what you think they want to know. That's not building trust, but what you believe they need to know. They will trust you more. And you have to start by trusting them. So communicate what's necessary based on the need. Use your empathy which again is a subcomponent of positivity in the group of what you do during an interaction, part of the uh, relative trustworthiness model. Use empathy to determine what is it that they really need. See things from their perspective as if you were them to know what they really need, what information they really need. And it's a good component of building trust. Remember, even if you, you're not sharing something or, or you're not communicating something, just to reduce the level of communication that they're having, the information still needs to be available and accessible to them. One more pet peeve on, on communicating things, uh, especially over email. Uh, email is not fully reliable. Spam filters uh, became overly protective uh, of us and uh, a lot of messages that should not end in spam do end in spam even important messages do me a favor to increase trust when somebody says something to you just acknowledge it got it that's it 
Now, you don't need to respond to somebody saying, if you say something, to, if you write something to someone and they respond by got it, you don't need to respond back to them saying, okay, I get that you got it. No, that, let's, let's not continue this. Let's not let this spiral. But acknowledge that you received something. Uh, you know, it could be a critical piece of information that needs to be received in a critical time. And I communicate to you and I don't know that you received it. You'll be amazed. Just the fact that I'm going to acknowledge a communication that you sent to me that is important to you that I know, you'll be surprised that you're going to trust me more because of that. Oh, and never, ever, ever, ever put somebody on BCC without the other people knowing. It sounds kind of weird because BCC is blind carbon copy. So you put it there so that other people will not know that somebody was copied on BCC. No. Sometimes you put people on BCC. Like, for example, uh, I made an introduction between you and somebody else. uh, Or you made an introduction between me and somebody else. And I reply, putting you on BCC, saying, thank you for the introduction. I moved you to BCC so that your inbox will not be burdened by us communicating, continuing to communicate. The other person knows that I put you on BCC because I said so. But you know the feeling when somebody sends you an email and, and it's not a, a positive email. It's not, it's not an email that is easy to, for you to read or accept. Then all of a sudden, your boss or somebody else replies to that email. Now you know that when I sent that email, I did put your boss or whoever that other person was in BCC. What does that do to your trust in me? Okay, that's as far as communication, communication of information and trust. A friend of mine, uh, Diana, Diana Buher, uh, asked a question on um, what's the difference between being blunt and being direct? When are you blunt and when are you direct? And, and I already told you that being direct is important for trust, for building trust. Say what you mean, mean what you say. So what, what's the difference between being blunt and being direct? I think if we put all of this on, on a spectrum then on one end, you're going to have probably disrespectful, uh, hurtful, or something like that. And and then uh, you have blunt. I I don't know that that I would put blunt all the way to to in that corner. And then on the other side, you have direct. I think what separates blunt from direct is the level of trust that already exists. You know how it is that there are things that... You can tell your wife, but you can't say to anybody else. And, and there are things that you can say to one person that if you said it to if you said it to one person, they will consider you being direct and trust you. If you said the same thing to somebody else, they will consider you being blunt and hurtful, disrespectful, and not trust you as a result. Well, the level of trust that they already had in you dictates how they're going to interpret what you said as being blunt or disrespectful 
versus being direct and helpful. Versus telling them what they need to hear because you care. But that's that's the key point, because you care. And the only way that they know that they you care is because they already trust you. There are certain things that I can say to people that I know for a long time, people who trust me, that I can never say when I go on stage for the first time. Because those people don't trust me. So what differentiates being blunt or disrespectful from being direct or helpful is the level of trust that already existed. Which, by the way, correlates with the amount of time that you already spent or that other person had spent with you to get to know you. But it's really trust. I hope that by now you're getting a sense of uh, how complex is communication and the relationship between communication and trust. But, you know, it's uh, communication, again, is not just the foundation for trust. It's also something that you do based on the level of trust that already exists or the way you do it. Well, let me attack this one last thing, and, and that's feedback, uh, giving feedback. And, you know, I, I'm I'm not going to try and condense what I recorded in six episodes. I, I did kind of a mini series in season five on uh, feedback, feedback and trust. So I, I would encourage you to go and, and check that out in season five. Uh, it's in six parts, as I said. So I'm not going to try and condense this into uh, two minutes, but I'm just going to give you the, the gist. Uh, when you give positive feedback, it's it's a lot harder to uh, give positive feedback in a way that would cause the other person to not trust you. Uh, first of all, by the way, again, back to one of my uh, surveys, what I found was that I would be 106% more willing to give you the feedback you need, not what I think you want to hear, the feedback you really need. I would be 106% more willing to give you that kind of feedback when I trust you compared to when I, if I don't. Uh, at the same time, I would be 76% more receptive to feedback from you when I trust you and I believe that you're really telling me what I need to hear because you care about me and not what I want to hear because you really couldn't give a damn or, uh, or you're telling me things just to hurt my feelings. So I'm going to be 76% more receptive to your feedback if I trust you. Um, meanwhile, I, I looked it up. It's season five, episodes three to eight. That Those are the six episodes on feedback. But... One thing that I said is, is that when you give feedback, um, if it's positive feedback, you know, it's pretty much anytime, any place, anything. But if it's negative feedback, your or the level of trustworthiness that you have in me, if I'm giving you feedback, your level of, of trust that you have in me will increase if I care about the right time, the right place, and make sure that you're in the right state of mind, and I even ask you if this is a good time and a good place for you to get feedback, if it's negative feedback, if it's, uh, let's call it constructive feedback, it's feedback that's not about things you did great, but it's about things that you didn't. 
and you can improve. So the, the, I, I wrote, uh, again, I wrote and, and I recorded those six episodes on feedback. I, I, I encourage you to go and listen to them in season five. But feedback is part of communication. Receptivity to feedback is part of communication. Both of them depend on the level of trust that already existed. And both of them affect the level of trust that would exist afterwards. So I need to trust you to give you uh, the feedback you need to hear. You will trust me more if I give you the feedback that you need to hear. I need to trust you to be receptive to feedback that you're going to give me. And you're going to trust me more if I am receptive to that feedback. One last thing, when somebody gives you feedback... We, we became very, very sensitive. And I want you to hear this. If I unintentionally said something or did something to you that hurt your feelings, it is 100% your decision to take it personally, become emotional, become irrational with absolutely nothing to gain. Let me say this again. If I intentionally said something to you or did something that hurt your feelings, it is 100% your decision to take it personally, become emotional and irrational with absolutely nothing to gain. You want to know something? Let's take the un from unintentionally. Even if I intentionally said something to you that hurt your feelings, It's still 100% your decision to take it personal, become emotional and irrational with absolutely nothing to gain. I hope I covered, uh, you know, it's not all. It's some of the relationship, the reciprocal relationship, the reciprocal complex relationship between trust and communications. I'll see you next week. What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll answer it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at thetrustshow.com. If you like this episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get notified when I release a new episode. Rate it. Write a review for this podcast because those ratings help not only you, but also others looking for podcasts just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, look up my workshops, online courses, books, or go to my website, trusthabits.com. And remember that the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? Thank you for listening or watching The Trust Show.